I'm here with author David Miller, who recently released his new children's book, highlighting nine-year-old master chef Toussaint. How are you doing today, uh, David Miller? Pretty good, man. No complaints. How are you doing? Man, I'm excellent. Uh, thank you so much for joining me. Um, can you talk about the significance of children seeing themselves uh, represented in children's literature? So, no, great. Um, I think representation is so fundamentally critical, particularly when we talk about um, literature. I think we see a lot of representation in music and even in art. But when we think about um, specifically children's literature, when you look at the data, there are more books published about inanimate objects or animals than there are about um, characters with African-American children um, in those books. And so I decided several years ago that I wanted to be a game changer in the space of children's literature. I decided that I wasn't going to beg or ask or cajole a publishing house to publish any of my books, uh, that I was going to publish a series of books in hopes of not only inspiring young people to believe in greatness, uh, but also to inspire other authors. And so I'm at a space now where I literally work with um, just a tremendous amount of authors and illustrators who, while are all interested in at some point potentially getting a deal through a random house, a Simon & Schuster, a Scholastic, they are interested in publishing stories. And oftentimes those stories are, are stories about their own childhood or stories about them, stories about things that have happened to them. And so again, my interest is really twofold to um, encourage and inspire um, the youngest in our society to be bold, to be innovative. And so stories like Chef Toussaint, a, um, a story, you know, a fictional story about a nine-year-old African-American male living in, in, um, in Atlanta, Georgia. He's a master chef. And I've created a whole series of books with really exciting characters. Um, to four, most of the books that I've been writing have been for boys, because we know from a school perspective, boys tend, and not in every case, but a lot of times when you look at the data, African-American and Latin, Latino males tend to lag behind girls in reading. And so I've developed a series of books really um, targeted toward black and brown boys. But I do have two, girl, two books coming out really focusing on, um, you know, uplifting this notion around black girl magic. Yeah, and that's uh, really incredible, the work that you're doing, because, like, um, I think, like, you know, from a publishing perspective, I've heard it said, like, you know, that's a demographic that doesn't read. That's why, like, a lot of, like, authors and stuff and everything, you know, particularly Black who write for that demographic have a, a difficult time getting published. I don't know, like, how true that is. You know, like, some of the data says that, like, you know, only, like, 12% of Black males are proficient uh, in reading by the eighth grade. Uh, but one of the things I thought that was really cool uh, is you name a lot of the characters from your book uh, after African historical figures. In this book, uh, Toussaint uh, L. Overture, who uh, freed Haiti slaves, one of the greatest Black revolutionaries. Could you uh, talk about that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot of times we um, try to overwhelm children with Black history. And while I, I believe Black history is foundational, I think sometimes we have to take sort of a backdoor approach to make sure that children are well-rounded and understand the important 
um, significant, the, the importance and the cultural and historical significance of African people and African American people, particularly in the Western world. And one of the ways that I have found that is sort of a great way to do that is I, I name many of my characters. And so this new book is called Chef Toussaint, named after Toussaint Louverture. I did a book called um, Brooklyn's Finest, The Green Family Farm. One of the lead characters, his name is Booker T. Washington Green. So he's named after, you know, Booker Teleferro Washington. And one of the new books that I have coming out that will be coming out uh, probably late October, early November. It's called um, Winnie the Wizard of Wall Street. And that book is named after an homage to um, the freedom fighter Winnie Mandela who was married to Nelson Mandela, but Winnie Mandela had a spirit of activism and a body of work in South Africa that, that's rarely even talked about. And, and, and Winnie is a nine-year-old investment banker. And the book is inspired based on the life and legacy of Magdalena Walker. Magdalena Walker, Richmond, Virginia, was the first African-American woman to own a bank, 1903. Again, first woman first black woman to own a bank in, um, in this country, 1903. Most people have never even heard of Magdalena Walker. And so I've been going back and forth to Richmond doing some research. And again, gonna be introducing young people to the life and legacy of Magdalena Walker, but at the same time, you know, introducing young people to Winnie Mandela. Cause I think a lot of times, once again, people have heard of Nelson Mandela, but haven't heard of Winnie. And so, you know, kind of weaving in history and culture is so critically important. Yeah, it is awesome. And uh, I think like, you know, uh, you really don't really hear about like the work of Winnie Mandela, like you said, like, you know, uh, and you know, she was obviously like doing a lot of like work, you know, and stuff to uh, work on the behalf of Nelson Mandela to get him freed uh, for the, the 25 plus years he spent in prison. Mm -hmm. um, you uh, do some work uh, with, uh, uh, Dare to be King, What If the Prince Lives is a survival workbook for African-American males, a thought-provoking 52-week uh, curriculum, uh, which I guess teaches adolescent males how to survive and thrive in toxic environments. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, man. Um, most of my work, almost all of my work, although I work with girls, most of my work has been in the space of teaching Black boys how to navigate. I mean, we cannot leave uh, growing up for black boys, it can't be left up to chance. Um, it has to be strategic. And I think a lot of times the way that we raise, particularly the way we raise boys and girls have to be strategic, but particularly our boys when you look at the data. And so Dare to Be King, What If the Prince Lives is a curriculum and it's designed to be used in schools, um, community centers, churches, to, to go through a series of um, daily lessons, if you will, that are, that, are, that are critical to Black males being able to survive and thrive. And so uh, when the curriculum first came out, um, I've been doing this work around what to do when stopped by the police. I've been doing this work 25 years. And so, you know, we created something called the 10 Rules of Survival if stopped by the police. Because, you know, the reality is if you're black and brown in America, you are gonna have contact with the police. So we created 10 rules, mainly for parents to be able to begin the conversation 
around what to do when stopped by the police, and that's in the curriculum. Other activities or sessions in the curriculum deal with what happens if you're a young black male who's growing up in a Chicago, a Baltimore, a Detroit, a Memphis, or any city in this country, and you're growing up without a father or a father figure. Who, who teaches you how to navigate? You know, like I, you know, for, since my children were born, they would always hear from me, when you leave my house, keep your head on a swivel. You know, pay attention when you leave my house, because not only do you have to be ever mindful of the negative encounters that could potentially happen as it relates to uh, police involvement, but the sad reality is we got to watch out for each other, because when you look at the rates of interpersonal violence in the Black community, um, I live in, I currently live in Washington, D.C., but I hail from the great city of Baltimore, Maryland. Um, less than eight blocks from my house, a six-year-old girl was shot and killed in a drive-by. And so keeping your head on the swivel, you know, paying attention, being more observant um, to your surroundings. You know, when you're leaving places, always be constantly aware of things that could potentially happen. So that's in the curriculum. Um, you know, navigating peer pressure. Uh, you, you name an issue that Black males um, confront. We, we tackle that in, uh, in the curriculum. You talk about like, you know, uh, urban cities like uh, Chicago, that's where I'm from. I know you, uh, you hail from Baltimore, you said, and I read a past interview and you were discussing um, how zip codes determine your access to books. And you were, you were talking about how uh, children grow up in book deserts sometimes, and you visited schools that don't have libraries. You know, uh, what, what can parents do to improve literacy rates when, you know, situations like that exist? So, so here's he he is where if, if, if we want to win as Black folks in America, part of the strategy has to be even before your child goes to school, your home needs to be your child's first classroom. And so what does that mean? Um, I can tell a lot, I can do a home visit and tell a lot about a family based on what I see in the refrigerator, what, what I see on the walls in terms of art, and what I see on the bookshelf. Now, if you don't have any books, we, we need to really sit down and have a conversation, right? Because a lot of times when you look at what separates low-income children from middle-class or affluent children is is not only not just access to books, but also the word gap. You know, you find in middle class and more affluent households, there's a word gap compared to low income households because a lot of times families are not necessarily having these conversations with their children about anything in life, right? And so, you know, books, how we communicate with our children is so fundamentally important. And sadly, I visited schools in this nation that don't have a library. And so we talk a lot about, you know, food apartheid or food deserts. There are book deserts in a lot of communities, a lot of low-income schools. Um, you would think that they would have culturally relevant books. Many times they have a few, but but not at the not at the level that they should have. And so oftentimes we don't necessarily talk about book deserts in low-income communities. Uh, one uh, other uh, topic I want to discuss is like, you know, for instance, uh, Dr. Seuss, he's one of uh, the children's authors who's adored by millions. But in recent years, you know, people like started to take notice that he depicted black and Asians in some of his books kind of disparaging. Uh, like, you know, uh, what are your thoughts about that? 
mean, again, you know, once again, man, we have to be in control of our own destiny. We have to be in control of our own image. And I always say to people that we have to be masters of our own media. I'm not waiting for a publishing house to contact me. So they're always going to be, you know, books and other literature where people um, dehumanize black skin and black bodies. And so that's one of the reasons why we have to create a counter narrative. So when I, when I write, when I write books like this, hopefully if you can see it, you know, my goal is, you know, and I got a whole bunch of other books that I've written. I'm trying to create a counter narrative uh, because we know that oftentimes, you know, black images have been manipulated. Oftentimes we know that people don't necessarily tell true and authentic stories about what it means to be black and brown in America. And so again, becoming masters of our own media, using social media, doing what you're doing, you know, creating an interview format where you can interview people, diverse people that are, that are change agents in their local community and their national community. You know, that's how we deconstruct, deconstruct a lot of myths and stereotypes associated with who we are as a people. That's excellent. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Where can people uh, learn more about like the books that you have and like, you know, learn about the work that you're doing? So go to my website, uh, www.iamdavidmiller.com. Iamdavidmiller.com. That's where you'll find all of my children's books for the specific work that I do with uh, black men and boys. You can go to daretobeking.net, king. Dot net. And I hope to be getting back to Chicago soon, man. I do some work on the west side, the North, the North Lawndale section of Chicago. Most definitely. Thank you so much for your time.